Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Lovely. Billy Jack, good to see you again. Yeah. Nice rainy, cold morning. It's always take a little rain here in Texas, won't we? Yes. Well, I want to take a moment. If you're our guest here today, welcome to Cibolo Creek Community Church. We're really glad you're here, and we invite you to make yourself at home. If there's any way we can be of help to you, we'd, we'd be honored to do that. And um, also want to take the opportunity just to uh, recognize those of you who are veterans, who are either active or retired military. Thank you. On behalf of Cibolo Creek, thank you for your service to our country. We are deeply, deeply grateful for what you've done. So this uh, fall, we have been exploring this idea of doing what Jesus did in the continuing exploration of the topic of what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus. And we've been talking about some of the um, priorities of Jesus and how he went about spending his life. And um, one of the things that we explored last week, we're going to talk about a little bit more this week, is that Jesus shared God's truth every chance he got with anybody who'd listen. That Jesus was, um, was an ambassador of what God wanted the world to understand. And every occasion that presented himself to share God's truth, he took it. In fact, the, the story of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wouldn't really exist if it weren't for the truths of Jesus that were captured and recorded for us. And so um, Jesus was committed to sharing God's truth with anybody who would listen. So if somebody asked me to um, you know, decide what is the most important truth of God that Jesus shared with others, I'd find myself in a bit of a quandary. If somebody asked me what was the most important truth that Jesus shared, I think I would recognize what my answer would be would be immediately, but I think I'd be reluctant or I'd be hesitant to narrow it down to one thing to go at the top of the list because I wouldn't want to suggest in any way that one teaching is more important than any of the others. It was Jesus himself who said every word, in fact, every letter that's recorded in the scriptures will be fulfilled. Which leads me to conclude that every teaching of Jesus is as equally important as all the others. But if someone pressed me and said, but what's the most important teaching of Jesus? I think the one that I would decide to identify is the only teaching of Jesus that he created an entire religious practice around. And that is the practice of communion. So it's interesting in most religions that have religious practices or ceremony, Jesus wasn't much for any of that. In fact, if you look at what Jesus taught, he only really recognized two religious practices or traditions. He, he talked about baptism and he talked about communion. But it's interesting, um, Jesus, Jesus didn't create baptism. 
other rabbis, other religious leaders of Jesus' day would have practiced baptism as a way of identifying who their followers were. What made Jesus's unique, uh, what J- made what Jesus made unique about baptism was this idea that people were declaring their allegiance to a faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nobody else was using that language. So Jesus didn't create baptism. He borrowed it or accommodated it. But communion, communion was created by Jesus. He established the practice for his followers. And it was about a truth that was so important that he never wanted anybody to forget it. And so today we're, we're going to explore this idea of communion. And it's likely that I will tell some of you, share some of things that you've never heard before in your life. And others of you, I may share some things today that are more than you ever wanted to hear. But we're going to spend the entire message this morning centered on this idea of communion and what it's all about. Communion, the Lord's Supper, it declares what I believe to be the single most important teaching of Jesus because he never intended that this one would be forgotten. So a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a class here at Cibolo Creek to some people who were interested in understanding what you read in your Bible. And one of the rules of good Bible study or good Bible interpretation is the rule of context, context, context. Then in order to properly understand a passage of scripture, we have to understand what was going on around it in the time in which it was written. And it's very interesting that on the occasion that Jesus introduced communion, there was something very significant happening around that occasion. And we read about it in one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 22, verse 7 tells us this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So the occasion where Jesus introduces communion, Jews across the nation are observing a significant occasion called Passover. And I think it's noteworthy for us to understand a little bit about Passover in order to understand what it was that Jesus is introducing in communion. So for centuries... Jews had been observing a a holy occasion called Passover, which they observed annually as a way to remember a very significant milestone in their history. We read about centuries ago, the Jews had been captive in the land of Egypt for some 430 years. And then after God decided to make a move on their behalf to deliver them from Egypt, He found that the Pharaoh's heart was resistant to the idea of losing his entire workforce. And so God instituted a practice of um, these difficult situations or plagues in order to try to get the Pharaoh to relent on his decision not to let the Israelites go. And the tenth plague that God introduces to the nation is the plague where the angel of death would come through the land of Egypt and he would strike dead every firstborn child and every firstborn creature that was in the entire land of Egypt. 
And we read about that way back in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. I'm just going to read a couple of parts of that particular passage. We read this in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each person is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Then in verse 5, we read this, the animals you choose must be year-old males without any kind of defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all of the people of the community of Israel must slaughter those sheep at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the lambs. You understand? And then in verse 12 of Exodus, we read this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then God gives them these instructions. This is a day that you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. You understand what happened? That God protected the people of Israel who had taken the blood of a slaughtered lamb and placed it on the top and the sides of the doorposts of their house. And when the death angel passes over Egypt, any house that had the blood applied was protected from God's judgment. This is the occasion that the disciples of Jesus are celebrating when Jesus introduces the very first communion. I think there's significance there. You also can't read the Old Testament without understanding the significance of a lamb or sheep. Almost daily in the life of every Jew was the practice of making some sort of a sacrifice at the temple in order to take care of their guilt of sin. So over and over and over again, for centuries, Jews had watched lambs be sacrificed, their blood collected, thrown against the altar as a way of paying for the sins of a sinner. In fact, some of the sacrifices that are made in the nation of Israel, the sinner, the worshiper who comes guilty of sin, was actually asked to place their hands on the head of the sheep as it rested there on the altar as a way of saying, I recognize that it's my sin that this lamb is dying for. The blood that's being shed should have been mine, but this lamb is taking the punishment of my sin. This was a significant part of Jewish religious life. So don't miss the significance when centuries later, Jesus as a young rabbi coming onto the public scene, he goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And what does John declare when he sees Jesus coming to be baptized? He says, look, 
It's the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Every Jew that was in the desert that day to be baptized would have understood the significance of what John the Baptist was declaring about the person of Jesus. This is God's lamb that he's giving for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. So this, this lamb, the lamb that is Jesus is the one who sits with his disciples around the Passover meal at a table where they're celebrating this significant Jewish occasion and Jesus introduces the practice of communion. So while they're eating, Jesus reaches out and he takes some bread from the table and he attaches significance to it. While they're eating, Jesus reaches out and he takes a cup of wine and he attaches significance to it. We, we read about this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 26. And while they were eating, eating what? They were eating together the Passover meal. Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For what reason? For the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus, sitting at a table, having a Passover meal with his disciples, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, he reaches out and he takes some bread. And he says, guys, this is to remind you of my body. He takes the cup of wine. He says, this is to remind you of my blood. And all of this will be for the forgiveness of sin. Sin is an extremely serious offense to a holy and righteous God. It's so serious that God only understands one possible satisfaction for the penalty of sin, and that is death. The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there, there is no forgiveness. Something or someone must die as the penalty for the seriousness of sin. I probably don't need to tell you this. You're probably aware of it. But we live in a culture. We live in a society. We, we live in a nation. We live in a world that seeks to dismiss the seriousness of sin. More and more we see all sorts of excuses made for every form of behavior that is Completely incompatible with God's design for human life. Our culture and our society invites us to approve and accept and adopt those sorts of behaviors that God can't stand as a holy, righteous God. But let me remind you, God is not of this world. 
God is the God of his eternal kingdom. And that kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a completely different culture. It's a completely different society. And it bows to no man, to no nation, to no ideology, or to no new or popular morality. God still hates sin. Sin is still serious to a holy and righteous God and in his heart and mind. The only satisfaction for the payment of sin is death. And that is why communion becomes such a significant observance in our life as Christians. In the book of Corinthians, the apostle Paul gives the early church instructions about communion We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Why? In remembrance of me. For whenever, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim, you declare, you shout Lord's death until he comes. This was a practice that God intended that Christians would never, ever forget the most important teaching of the gospel. And that is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners like you and me. God calls us to the communion table so that we might remember the single most important truth of Jesus Christ. And that is that he is a savior. He is the lamb of God who came to this world to take away the sins of the world. And the instruction of communion is very specific. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, don't ever forget me. Don't ever forget me playing the role of the sacrificial lamb who pays the penalty for sin on the behalf of mankind. Don't ever forget Jesus. When he took the bread, he said, this bread is my body, which is what? Given for you. What is he saying? He's saying, my body will go to the cross and incur the wrath of God's judgment for sin. My body will do that instead of your body. I will take your place. It's interesting in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this this theme of substitution where one thing or one person is allowed to take place of another. In fact, it's it's the basis of one of the great theological truths of being a Christian And that is the idea of what's called substitutionary atonement. Atonement is the idea that the death of Jesus Christ pays for sin, but he pays for sin as the substitute for us as sinners. 
that God would recognize the death of Jesus Christ as being the sufficient payment, not only for the sins of the whole world, but for my sin and for your sin. This is my body, which is for you. I am your substitute. He said when he took the cup, this is my blood. This blood is a new covenant. It's an arrangement that Jesus the Son made with God the Father that the death of Jesus would be sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. It's interesting as we study God in the scriptures, we get to know God as he is in, in a complete understanding. God's not just one thing. God's not just one way. And so in the scriptures, we see that God is holy He's righteous and he's just. This is why he takes the offense of sin so seriously. Because he's holy. Because he's righteous. Because he believes and insists that everything be done fairly. But he's not just holy, righteous, and just. He's equally merciful and gracious and loving And the death of Jesus Christ is what allows for God to be completely consistent with who he is. You see, the seriousness of sin because of his holiness, his righteousness, and his sense of justice demanded that sin had to be paid for and the payment sufficient for sin was death. But because he's merciful, because he's gracious, and because he's loving... Rather than you and I paying for our sin, he allowed the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute. Does that make sense? So the instructions of the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Corinthians is that whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you're, you're declaring once again the importance of the Lord's death on your behalf. You see, folks, it's at the cross. It's at the cross that every significant provision that God has offered to mankind is made available to anybody who would reach out and receive it by faith. The forgiveness of sin, the gift of salvation, the hope of eternal life, these are all made available to us at the cross. And any person, regardless of what they've done, any person who will reach out in faith and ask that the provisions of Jesus be applied to their house, then they can know all that God has offered them in his mercy, his grace, and his love. It's important that we as Christians understand that communion is a table where sinners come where sinners come to remember a savior who paid the penalty for their sin by dying in their place so that they could be protected from the condemnation of a holy and righteous God. Communion. Communion is a table that's been set by a savior of sinners who trust in his sacrifice on their behalf. A Christian is not somebody who goes to church. 
A Christian is not somebody who's perfect. A Christian is not somebody who's got it all together. A Christian is a sinner who's placed his faith or his trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only means by which they are made right before a holy and righteous God and receive his grace, his love, and his mercy. That's that's what a Christian is. There's so many passages of scripture that are such interesting and excellent portrayals of the gospel. But I think there's one passage that captures it all better than all the rest. You want to know what communion is really all about? Communion is about this. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 5, and we read this, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. Christ died to pay for the sins that we're guilty of. And since now we've been justified, or it's a legal term, we've been declared righteous in the sight of God. Since now we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved, rescued from God's wrath through Christ? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is what the communion table is all about. It's the occasion where Christ followers are reminded once again that we are sinners. And it's because of the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf that we can know the gift of forgiveness, the restoration of salvation, and the hope of eternal life. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. But I don't want you to just go through the motions. This reminder this morning is to help all of us to connect with it personally. That this is me that Christ died for. This is me that's the sinner who's guilty. This is me who only because of Christ's death on our behalf am I forgiven and made right with God. My hope this morning is that we all might have discovered something here today that we needed perhaps for some of you you're new to your faith your level of interest has changed just recently or for some of you it's brand new to you and perhaps you've learned something today that you've never understood the history behind the celebration of communion and the significance of what it's all about and why Christians do it in the first place. So I hope for some of you, you learned something brand new here today. 
for others of you, my hope was that you might be reminded of something in a new and a fresh way that perhaps the passing of the years you've forgotten. You've become cold to it. You've done it so many times. You've gone through the motions so often that it's just lost its significance. Perhaps today, something in your soul was dislodged for you to receive and experience communion in a new and a fresh way. Now, I'm not making a commitment that we will celebrate communion this way every month. But my prayer is that whenever we celebrate communion, that every time we participate in whatever form it takes, we will remember Christ in his death, the substitute who paid for our sin so that we might be forgiven and restored to a relationship with God as our heavenly father rather than our eternal judge. The communion might be experienced with a heart of gratitude, thankfulness that we now live in a different standing with God where we're safe, we're secure, recognizing that all of it is made possible only through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That, that's the gospel. Let us be a gospel people where we never fail to understand the centrality of Jesus Christ to everything that we believe to be true. May we be a people with grateful hearts for what Jesus did on our behalf. For in that, we are truly followers of Jesus. Make sense? Let me ask you to stand together and let me pray for you. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I'd love to make your acquaintance. I'll be here at the front of the auditorium following our service. Please just come up and introduce yourself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled when we truly understand what communion is all about. Forgive us, Father, if we have just We've just fallen into a routine. We've just gone through the motions and our hearts not been in it. I pray, Father, that you'll renew something inside of us where we will truly understand and we will deeply appreciate with hearts of gratitude the work of Jesus on our behalf that we as sinners guilty before a holy and righteous God we are made safe and secure through the blood of Jesus Christ that's been applied to our lives by faith 
that through him we know your forgiveness. We receive your salvation. And we look forward to the hope of eternal life. Make us those kinds of people. Make us those kinds of Christians. I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.